Let's pray together. Father God, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to give honor to, oh God, you're worthy to lift our voices to. Father God, you're worthy to give everything we have to the Lordship of your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name today. We thank you, oh God, for sending us Jesus. We love you, Lord God, because you have first loved us. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today. Father, I pray for every single person who is gathered here today. I pray for those who are online. Have your way with us today, Lord Jesus. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and fill with them. May we leave here today, oh God, different, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit for being in your house today. We honor you, we celebrate you, we praise you, and we pray it in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus and all those who love the Lord set together. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. Praise him one more time before you're seated. You may be seated. How y'all doing today? You good? So glad that you are here uh, today and just want to uh, celebrate uh, your presence here. Um, just if I can just take a personal moment just to update you here. I'm, I'm here to celebrate the Lord Jesus with you. I, I've never felt more cared for and prayed for and supported than I have felt since a week ago yesterday. If you don't know anything about it, uh, I was in a motorcycle accident and uh, about lost my life, uh, avoided a head-on collision, laid my bike down. And church, you, you have so blessed me. I've always told you how much I love you, but I've never felt such love from you and the staff of this church. Um, I want to testify to you today and just give you a little update. So you'll remember last Saturday, I came straight from the emergency room, and uh, I told you that the, the doctor said that we were probably going to be able to avoid surgery, but that I was going to get probably fitted with a back brace on Monday. So I shared it with you, got all of you praying about it, posted it online. It went crazy. A lot of people just praying, praying, praying. And then on Monday, uh, the doctor called me. And I have not been reprimanded like this in a long time. <laughs> like, what I, what, I, what I didn't tell you was last Saturday, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't quite discharged. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, 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 you, 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 you know, I'm a little stubborn. Uh, I kept telling them, I got to go to church. I got to go to church. And they said, well, we, we don't care. Um, <laughs> and so I left and he called me on Monday. I'm telling you, he... This, this doctor was tough. And uh, he said, you had no business leaving. I was going to put you in a brace. And, uh, and, and, I, and I was in a lot of pain then. And so I started pushing back. And we had this very intense conversation on the phone. And um, he, he, he finally said, Dr. Kelly, I would like to let you know that in 35 years of practicing medicine, I would venture to guess that 99.9% .9 of the people would have stayed at the hospital and not left. In other words, you're an idiot. That's what he said, basically. And, and, and then he said, I'm not going to prescribe the brace. You got to get a brace prescribed. I didn't know that. I'm learning all kinds of things. He said, I'm not going to prescribe a brace unless you come back to the hospital. 
and, and uh, let me get another set of x-rays. I said, fine, I'll, I'll come to your clinic, your office. And he, no, you, you have to come back to the emergency room. Excuse me? Guys, I said, Doc, do you know how hellacious of an experience it is to go through the emergency room? I said, it's, 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 it's similar to the DMV, <laughs> if you've been to the DMV. And, and he said, well, I don't know what's happened in the last couple of days. You could have re-injured it. I'm not going to prescribe it. You have to come back. And I work in the emergency room. I don't have a clinic for you to go to. You have to come back and go through x-rays. And I kept pushing back. And then he said this. I mean, he just kept slapping me on the wrist. And then he goes, this was the UNC emergency room. He goes, or you have one other option. I said, what's that, doctor? He said, you can go find another hospital. <laughs> this guy was not playing, bro. Um, and so I, I, I decided to sleep on it and pray about it. And the Lord said, you need to humble yourself and go on back up to the hospital. <laughs> and so I went back up to the hospital and I got another set of x-rays on Tuesday. Finally, the doctor came in and we made up. It was kind of sweet. We, we made up. <laughs> I decided I was going to go in there with a lot of sweetness that day because I didn't want to be in there another 15 hours. Uh, so we made up and had a good conversation. And then he said this quote, unquote, I can't quite explain it. <laughs> he said, don't get me wrong. You still have a long journey ahead. It's going to take you a couple months to heal. He said, but I can't quite explain it. Your back is, is, seems very stable today. The fracture seems to be looking better than it was on Saturday. And I think we're going to be able to avoid a brace. Praise God. And, and, and you know, when he, when he said that, I was, uh, he said, I can't quite explain it. I, I wanted to say it. Well, I can explain it. God's people have been praying. And so um, I'm still trying to manage the pain and get ahead of it. And I, I've still got an L3 uh, fracture, but I just want to thank God today. And uh, some of you are like, why don't you just take some time off? You don't need to be in church. No, no, listen, this is where I want to be. When you, when you come close to death and you realize God has saved you, uh, you want to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. And so I'm just so thankful and, and glad you are here today. Um, do we have any cheerful givers in the house? Anybody excited about honoring God? So just, we don't pass a basket anymore if you're a guest, feel no pressure, this is our gift to you. But if you came ready to give, there's all kinds of ways to give. There's a, there are black boxes in the back and in the rotunda. I did just wanna say a couple things about the offering. Um, last week you were in church, you know that we really celebrated next generation and all that God is doing amongst our young people. Uh, and I just wanna thank you for, for giving to the ministry of this church because you do that we're able to impact the next generation. I also wanted to let you know that um, I've been really thinking hard and researching and praying about like what to do in response to Ukraine and the Russian situation. And I just don't wanna be knee-jerk and we need to be careful and wise stewards. And so um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but over 10 million, it's about 10.5 million refugees have now fled out of Ukraine and they are in Poland. Uh, of those 10.5, about 4.5 of those uh, folks are children. And as I laid in the ditch last Saturday thinking I was dying, I was quoting Psalm 86 where the Bible says, the Lord saves those who are distressed. And um, these people are distressed. They've been misplaced. And uh, you've probably heard of Samaritan's Purse 
which is a great organization through which we partner every year with Operation Christmas Child, shoeboxes. And so we're gonna be uh, writing a sizable check tomorrow and sending that to Samaritan's Purse. They are on the ground. I like for ministries to be on the ground. They are making it happen. And they are in Poland serving the refugees. And I just want to say to you, because you give, we're able to do things like that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Last thing, um, it gives me a chance to, to let you know, boy, you came, you came to church. You're gonna be blessed today. Uh, midweek this week, my good friend, Pastor Clayton King, who preaches all over the world, uh, hit me up and said, hey, man, I read your post, and I, it just so happens I have a free Sunday. It doesn't happen often, and if you want me to come and preach at New Hope on Sunday, I am there. It took me about a millisecond. Uh, <laughs> to decide absolutely. And so um, Clayton King, you might recall, was here in October. He's kind of become a regular around here. He's kind of become one of our teaching pastors. Uh, he was here in October, October 3rd, and you might recall that he left here and got stricken with appendicitis. Do you remember this? And it was touch and go for him as well. He was really, really sick um, and so we celebrate and praise that God has healed him and brought him back to continue in ministry. Uh, he stayed at my house last night um, and watched the basketball game with me and the boys. And uh, yeah, there's a Duke fan right there. Um, I, I just want to let you know that Carolina is playing today. I really believe they're going to put a, an abrupt end to the Cinderella story of St. Peter's. I really believe they're gonna win today. I want them to win today. Here's what you need to know, though. If they win today. Oh, yeah. Next Saturday, for the first time ever, Duke and the University of North Carolina will meet in the tournament for the final four, which I don't know what that tells you. That tells me that on Sunday... Half of y'all will be happy, and half of y'all will be mad. And can we just set in our spirit right now a, a, a Holy Spirit resolve that regardless of what happens, we're going to be in church next Sunday. We're either going to worship God through our pain, or we're going to worship God through our celebration. But we were watching the game last night, and uh, the boys and I were watching the game. Uh, Clayton was was praying with his eyes closed, i.e. sleeping. Um, but he's been traveling. He, he, he just flew in from a marriage conference yesterday, jumped right in the car and came to be with us. He's a humble servant of the Lord. He's, he's one of the most humble, faithful preachers I know, and that's just not preacher embellishment. Like, for real, this guy got on his knees this morning in my kitchen and put my shoes on for me. One of the hardest things is crazy. One of the hardest things to do is put your socks and shoes on. It, it, it's, it's, it, he, he put my shoes on for me. He, he's, one of the, he's one of the most faithful, anointed preachers on the planet, and I just want to take a few extra moments to honor him today. Today, like literally today, is his 35th ministry anniversary. He's been preaching the gospel for 30 Five years. In fact, Pastor Clayton, come on up. Pastor Clayton, come on up. Yeah, here he is. Honor him, church. 35 years 
He, he is a modern-day evangelist. Some of you come out of the Methodist Church or the Wesleyan Church, and you know traveling evangelists used to get on horseback and preach the gospel. This guy goes all over the world, preaches, and when he does, God anoints his messages, and people get saved. I said this last celebration. I'm just going to say it here, and I want to preface it with, I'm not saying he's like this person, but when I think of Pastor Clayton, he reminds me of a young Billy Graham. That's, that's the kind of respect I have for him. And um, when he offered to be here on his 35th ministry anniversary, and I said yes, as soon as we stopped talking, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, you need to honor him on that day. And so today, I am here to honor him and thank him for his ministry, not only at New Hope, but around the world. 35 years, guys, ministry, ministry is, not, um, is not easy. And so for you to go 35 years, and so I, I've put together something here for you. It says, on this 27th day of March 2022, the day of our Lord, Lord we honor Pastor Clayton King, and we celebrate his 35 years of fruitful ministry. This certificate entitles you and your beautiful family to one week at a lovely beach house at my favorite beach, Topsail Beach, North Carolina, on behalf of Christ and New Hope Church. We honor and celebrate 35 years of ministry. And you, you can take, he's got, he's got boys, you can take your kids or you can go with Jashari. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes to Jashari? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes to Jashari. Or you can split it up. You can take your kids for half and then take your beautiful bride on behalf of this entire church and thousands of folks who are online. We just want to honor you. Thank you for staying the course. You have been an inspiration to me. You have been a friend uh, that sticks closer than a brother to me. I love you and uh, glad you were here. Preach it, brother. Love you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. There you wow. go. I just want to say, as he takes a seat to Pastor Benji, I want to say to you as a church that whew, 35 years of doing this, uh, there, there just aren't many great pastors like Pastor Benji Kelly. You're a great man. You're a great friend. Thank you for the way that you love your people. Um, I, what you don't know, the Lord knew this. So Topsail Beach, see, I know it's not Topsail. I know it's Topsail. Um, because for 10 years, my wife and I, when we lived in, we lived for 20, uh, I lived 23 years in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. I'm a Gard, Gardner Webb graduate. And there was a family from Apex that let us use their beach house for 10 years at Topsail from the time we got married until about 10 years later. Then they moved away and sold the house. And Topsail has always been our favorite beach to vacation at, and we haven't been there in 13 years, but we going now, baby. We going now. I love my kids, but I love my wife more, so they just gonna have to fend for themselves. They're old enough. 
Hey, it's good to be back home. I've told y'all this before, but you know when you feed a stray dog, they think they belong to the family. That's kind of how I feel here at New Hope. You guys are so kind to me and so good to me, and I'm honored to be back and serve you today. When I saw the post from Pastor Benji the other day, I was telling him this morning when we were drinking coffee in his kitchen, something happened in my heart. I got really, really emotional. Pastor Benji and I have so much in common. We're um, we're both about the same age. Um, we've got two boys who are almost identical ages. My boys are 16 and 19. Um, we are both, we both trace our lineage back to Sumter, South Carolina. So Pastor Benji's from Sumter. I'm adopted, never knew anything about my biological family until two years ago. And when I took the uh, Ancestry.com test, found out that my dad, my biological dad, was from Sumter, South Carolina, and my brother and sister still live in Sumter. And so God's given us a great friendship, and when I saw Pastor Benji's post, and I read it, and we began to communicate back and forth, I was just reminded, uh, even the emotion in my heart, of just thank, thanking God for sparing Benji Kelly. Thanking God for putting both hands on that motorcycle and saving his life. And, and then I began to remember in my own life all the times that God has bailed me out of a mess. And I got real emotional just thinking back to my teenage years. And today I'm, I'm really emotional anyway because it's my, I've preached my first sermon 35 years ago today. I was 14 years old. I was in the eighth grade. Michael Jackson was still alive. Prince was playing Purple Rain. I was skating at Golden Skates in Malden, South Carolina, and Bon Jovi was still playing rock and roll. I mean, it was a good time to be alive. And, and I just remember all the things that God spared me from. When you mentioned that you're gonna have goats to hug and you ask us if we'd ever hugged a goat, I'm like, no, I've never hugged a goat. But God did spare me from that crazy girl I dated in the 10th grade. <laughs> we can all testify, can't we? There are just so many things in, in, our, in our lives that we need to go back and revisit and remember and what I want to preach on today, I even, I, I held this loosely when I got to Pastor Benji's house last night, hanging out with him and the boys, uh, watching the game, and I just, I kind of put this out before Pastor, I said, hey, I've got four or five messages ready to go, but for some reason, I just have this thing stirring in my heart, it's percolating, it's kind of like a crock pot, and, and I asked him about this message and this passage, and it was last night, probably around 8.30 uh, or 9 o'clock, that I felt like the Spirit really solidified this in my soul for today. It's just one simple word, testify. I want to talk about the power of your testimony today. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 12. Now, when you hear the word revelation, or as some people like to call it revelations, it's not plural, it's one, there's revelation. The word simply means to reveal. It just means to reveal. And the book of Revelation doesn't have to scare you. It doesn't have to confuse you. Depending on if you come from a religious background or maybe even not a religious background at all, Revelation is a book that can be very confusing if you don't know the context. So give me five minutes to set up the context before I let my Pentecostal roots come out. I might take a lap today, and if you're a Baptist, you don't know what I'm talking about. I might come off this stage and stretch my legs. I am feeling really, really passionate about this message today because I love to testify. When I love something, I talk about it. I love the Dallas Cowboys. Are you wearing a jersey, my sister? 
You're testifying. You are testifying. You are prophesying into the future because God knows in the last 25 years we have needed some faith. I love barbecue, so I talk about it. I love my Ford F-250, so I talk about it. I love my wife, so I talk about her. She can't keep her hands off of me. When you love something, you talk about it. That's what it means to testify. That's what it means to testify. Some of y'all are all up in your feelings because Coach K is about to go out on top winning a national championship. So you're testifying about it. Some of y'all believe that I am living in sin by saying that because you got that baby blue in your heart and you believe the Tar Heels are gonna shipwreck that whole run and so you testify about it. Why? Because you love it. I live 19 miles from a place called Death Valley. I'm not talking about the desert in California. I'm talking about where the Clemson Tigers play college football and I testify about God's favorite college football team. Y'all can debate about Carolina and Duke all day. I know where Jesus sits on Saturdays. He is watching from the 50-yard line in Death Valley. We testify about what we love. It just means to talk about something you're passionate about. So in the book of Revelation, we see that a man named John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple, who was Jesus' closest friend, has now, as an old man, probably in his 80s or 90s, he has been exiled by the Roman government, by a Roman emperor, most likely Nero, who feared the Christian gospel. Because in Rome, you had to worship the Caesar. You had to declare Caesar is Lord. His picture and his name were on their coins. And Caesar was afraid of and intimidated by the Christian faith. And John was boiled in hot oil. Church history tells us this. But they couldn't kill him. He was like a gospel cat. He had nine lives. And he wouldn't die. So he survived being boiled in a vat of hot oil and they exiled him to an island in the Aegean Sea. I visited this island twice called Patmos. And he lived in a cave. That cave is still there to this day. It's a holy site for the Greek Orthodox Church. And church history tells us that while he was there on the island of Patmos, believers would go visit him. They would get on boats and they would sail to that island. And he was so old he couldn't even hardly walk and they would put him in a chair and carry him outside the mouth of that cave where he would testify about what it was like to walk with Jesus of Nazareth. So while he's there, he gets a revelation and in the same literary style as what we call Jewish apocalyptic literature, books like Daniel and places in Jeremiah and Isaiah, he writes this symbolic, powerful, artistic book from the Holy Spirit through his experience to talk about not only what was happening to Christians in the moment, Christians were being persecuted, and when I say persecuted, let me clarify. People were not calling them names on Facebook. People were killing them. They were being thrown to wild animals in the Roman Colosseum. They were being forced to face gladiators just for the entertainment of the Roman crowds. 
They were being tied to poles, doused with oil and lit on fire in Nero's gardens to provide light for his dinner parties as he entertained his guests. So John is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a letter, a book, encouraging believers to testify to the power of the gospel and to not give in to the demands of the empire. Side note, Christians do not worship or bow down to an elephant or a donkey. We worship the lion and the lamb. Our allegiance is to Jesus before it is to an ideology or a political party. And that is what the book of Revelation is about. Christians staying faithful to Christ unto the death and testifying with their lives, their words, and their martyrdom that Jesus Christ is worth it all. It's that mentality. It's that context with which we read these two verses from Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. John writes, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, I love these four words, has been thrown down. Don't miss this. A day is coming. I'm sorry I'm getting, no, I'm not sorry I'm getting loud. I, I believe this. I'm, I'm gonna say it loud for emphasis. A day is coming when the devil will have to shut his big fat cake hole forever. I hate him. I hate his lies. I hate his deception. I hate the way he tries to steal, kill, and destroy. And this book is written, these verses are written in, a, in this thing that theologians call the now and the not yet. That the kingdom of God is here now. The power of God is here now. Heaven has come to earth now. We are saved now. We are redeemed now. We are born again now. Also, heaven is not here yet. The kingdom of God has not fully come yet. We're not completely healed of sickness and disease and sadness and anxiety yet. It's the now and the not yet. We live in the tension between the two. We await his coming. We look forward to his appearing. We believe he will come again one day. And when he comes again, he is not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over because he's Lord, boss, master, and king. And so what this passage is telling us is that the same devil who rebelled against God, you read about this in the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Ezekiel, Lucifer, filled with pride, tried to take over heaven from God, lost the war, was cast down to earth, where we now call him Satan. It means adversary or accuser. His literal name means the accuser. And what John is doing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is looking back to the, to the past, Lucifer being cast out of heaven, Jesus dying on the cross and defeating death, hell, and the grave. And then he's looking forward to the not yet. A day is coming when the devil will be cast down. 
when he will lose all authority, all power to manipulate, control, and accuse us. And then he tells us how it happened. He connects this, well, don't miss this. He connects Satan and his accusations with the martyrs in the first century who were being murdered and killed by Caesar because they will not recant their faith. And he actually says, the Bible actually says in verse 11, they, the martyrs, they, the Christians, they conquered the devil. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. There's a book written by a historian named Rodney Stark, world-class historian from Baylor University. And Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. Now, I've been a Christian 35 years, been preaching for 35 years. I'm a pastor at a multi-site church. I'm all about marketing. I'm all about PR. Your students are coming to our summer camp this summer at Crossroads, a nonprofit that my wife and I started. I'm all about sharing what we do and, and trying to get the word out. I'm all about making the experience beautiful and wonderful and having coffee and greeters and parking teams. I love all that. Our church does all that. Our nonprofit ministry does all that. But Rodney Stark has proven in his historical book, and he's got receipts to prove it, that the way the church grew historically, before we had abilities to broadcast our voices with microphones, to cast a video up on a screen for people to watch online through the internet, before any of that happened, there are four ways that the church grew and became the dominant faith in the world. So if you compare Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism with Christianity, one out of three human beings on planet Earth right now declare that Jesus is their Lord. How did we get from a couple hundred believers right after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead to now almost 2.5 billion people on planet Earth who declare Jesus is Lord? Four ways, and it's not slick marketing, it's not PR, it's not the delicious coffee we serve at my church on Sundays. You know how it happened? Four things, the way Christians, historically treated women, the way Christians treated the poor, the way Christians handled suffering, and the way that Christians blessed people with their verbal testimony when they had an opportunity to speak about Jesus. That's how we overcome. So can I give you the cheat code? I'm gonna give you three quick points today. Three ways that you can testify. Number one, I wanna empower you. I, I, I can't ordain you in the like religious sense of, ord, of an ordination, but if I could just as a brother in Christ give you the power, the authority, the permission, I wanna say this very clearly. Every one of you, female, male, young, old, African-American, Caucasian, Latino, Latina, or if you're just a mutt and you're a mixture of all of it, doesn't matter. Every one of you, you have a story to tell. I don't know how to say it any more simply. I don't know how to make it uh, more palatable. I'm gonna say it as clear, as plain as I can. I grew up in a church tradition where the, specifically women in the church, when the preacher was preaching, the women used to holler out, make it plain, preacher! Make it plain! Let me make it as plain as I can. Your life up until this point of your life is your story to tell. 
It doesn't have to be, because in, in your mind, I know some of y'all are thinking, I don't really have much of a story to tell. My story is actually filled with a whole lot of failure, mistakes, doubts, sin, brokenness. And I want to tell you that the more broken your story is, the more powerful it is, and the more the world needs to hear it. Because I've learned something over the years in ministry as an evangelist and as a pastor. People would rather you be real than be right. My authenticity on a stage is actually my authority on the stage. If I get up here and try to pretend like I've got it all together and I've never messed up and I understand all the mysteries of the Bible and me and Jesus have coffee every morning because he comes to my house and skips over all of y'all and comes and hangs out with me, if I present myself like that, nobody's listening to a word I have to say because that is not relatable. That's also not who I am. It's not who you are either. I'm telling you, I got so mad at somebody yesterday, I may or may not have cussed in my heart against them. Can I say that? <laughs> Didn't say it out loud, but in my heart, I had some repenting to do. I, I, I have a, a propensity towards anger. I have a propensity towards insecurity. And when I testify about how God saves me from those things, changes me, makes me a new creation, people lean in to listen. Did you know, so I'm, I'm an author. I've written 18 books. I just turned in my 18th manuscript. And over the 35 years that I've been preaching, I've probably preached about 20,000 hours worth of sermons, according to my calculations, and I've published a million words now in book form. And I'm, so I'm a communicator, it's what I do. I'm fascinated by some of the newest scientific research about the human brain. Do you know that when you're communicating, whether you're writing a book or typing up a blog or a post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, if, if you're preaching to a crowd or even trying to motivate your, your sales crew at your business, all you have to do to get people to lean forward and listen is say this phrase. Let me tell you a story. Something happens in the human brain when that phrase comes out of a mouth. It's the reason why your little children, when you were a kid, when, you, when your children were kids, my, mine did this every night. Daddy, tell me a story. Tell me another one. Daddy, read me that story. Son, I've read it to you. 412 nights in a row. Read it again, Daddy. Read it again. We are wired to listen to people tell this story. I want you to know, doesn't matter what your story looks like, sounds like, or feels like, your story is your testimony. So did God save you from cancer? Did God heal you from a bad wreck? Did God bring you a spouse when you were praying for one? Did God spare you from bankruptcy? Did you go through bankruptcy and then God redeemed and restored your finances? Did you pray to get into a school for years and years and years and then you got in? That's your story. Tell your story. Tell it to the guy changing cleats in the locker room beside you at high school. Tell it to your professor at UNC Chapel Hill or at Duke or NC State. Tell it to the person that works in the cubicle right beside you. Tell your story to the server at the restaurant who is bringing you your sweet tea and your bread and your butter. Just open up your mouth and speak up. It's your story. Tell it. The world needs your story. The days of thinking that the pastor and the staff are going to do all the work of ministry, those days are gone. We can't do it. We need to work together 
We need you, we need this team called the church to be vocal and verbal, not angry, not mean, not hard-headed, not antagonistic. When you tell your story, just tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's how they overcame the devil. It's how they conquered the accuser. They did it by the word of their testimony. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's my second point. Don't get hysterical, get historical. Anybody ever get hysterical in here? Some of y'all need to point to your spouse right now because you know they do. Some of y'all are like, I do. I get hysterical sometimes. I already mentioned it. Let me testify about God's grace. So I had a great, fr Friday night my wife and I went to a church in Dallas. About 5,000 people came to this marriage conference and uh, 300 people got saved at a marriage conference. It was beautiful. So I don't sleep well typically when I'm away from home in hotels, but I'm away from home a good bit. So we got up early yesterday morning. We flew home, got to Greenville Spartanburg. I live in South Carolina. That's where I'm a pastor and where our ministry is located. And a friend picked up my wife at the airport. I drove here. Well, on the way here, uh, it's about a four-hour drive from the airport, four and a half hours from my house. And I'm in my truck and I'm barreling down the road and Pastor Benji sends me a text. He's like, hey, uh, come on over and watch the game tonight. And then he sent me another text and said, if you want to stay here, you can sleep at our house. We got a guest bedroom. And I'd much rather hang with Benji and the boys and stay at a you know, hotel. So I had a room already booked at a hotel. I won't tell you the name of the hotel. It's very close to here, but I don't want to say it in case you're the woman that made me mad on the phone yesterday <laughs> or in case she's your cousin. So I'm, I'm trying to call. I'm driving by myself. I'm trying to call this hotel to cancel my room to make sure that I don't get charged for it because, you know, I don't want to lose the 200 and something bucks for a hotel room. And I called three times. And, and, and the first time, the woman was very rude. She put me on hold. And she literally said, it's going to be a 10-minute wait. And, I, and I'm trying to say, oh, hold on. And she just puts me on hold. And I hear elevator music playing. Second time I call back, she answers again. She's like, please hold, and puts me on hold. That's it. Third time I call back, we talk. We had a few, she told me a few things. I was like, can you please cancel my room? We can't do that here. I'm gonna give you a number to call. I was like, hold on just a moment. I'm driving. Let me get a pen. She goes, I can't wait on you. I've got people on the other line. And she put me on hold again. Well, I got mad and hung up. I did not lose my cool on the phone with her. But the minute I hung up, I I screamed in my truck. I said good words, but in my heart, I was thinking bad words. And I got hysterical. I got hysterical. There's a sinful part of me that cannot stand to be disrespected. And you'd think by now, 35 years walking with Jesus Christ, the humble son of the living God, I would have gotten over myself by now. You wanna know how a person's discipleship really looks? You wanna know how deep your walk with Jesus really is? Just let somebody offend you. Just let somebody cut you off in traffic. Let somebody cut in front of you in line. And we'll see how much we really love Jesus. So I am freaking out. I've already come up with a plan in my head. I'm calling that hotel tomorrow. I'm gonna demand to speak to the manager. I'm gonna tell them what time that woman said those things to me so the manager can find her and reprimand her. I had a plan. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It was like God literally out loud. was like, hey boy, let me remind you of some things. Yes, Lord. You're driving a truck right now that somebody gave you five years ago for your 30th anniversary in ministry. You sure you wanna be upset? because a woman was a little bit rude to you? Let me remind you, son, that one year ago this month, a man showed up at your house out of the clear blue, unannounced, and gave you a motorcycle. 
and said, I want my pastor to have a bike because you don't have any hobbies and I don't want you to burn out and I don't want you to have a nervous breakdown. You need something that will help you blow off steam. I know you love motorcycles. Enjoy the, enjoy the bike. Oh, and, and let me remind you one more thing. In 1972, when your mom got pregnant by a man she wasn't married to while her husband was fighting in the Vietnam War, you could have been aborted, but your mom chose to give you up for adoption, and I placed you in a family with a mom and a dad that loved me and loved the church and loved the Bible, and you are where you are right now because of things you had nothing to do with. You might need to get historical. Here's what I'm trying to say. If I could just clean myself out of spot and offend some people, and not y'all, but I'm talking about everybody else, okay? We're living in a country where everybody wants you to be mad at everybody else. Algorithms have been developed to make you hate your brother and sister, to make you suspicious of your neighbor. You know what we need to do? We need to go back in moments where we are attempted to be offended, angry, upset, defensive, we just need to get historical and go back to our lives and look at all the ways God has come through for us. Every time he saved us from death in an accident. Every time you had a bad report and you prayed and God healed you and gave you a good report. Every time you've prayed for God to come through for a financial need and he did and then some. Why is it that we will focus on the one time we didn't get what we wanted at the expense of the 10,000 times God came through and gave us something we didn't deserve? Get historical. Testify. Talk about how good God is. Talk about what he's done for you. And before you talk about it to other people, you need to repeat it to yourself. I preach the gospel, it's what I do, it's who I am, 35 years as of today. But do you know who I preach the gospel to most? I'm a pastor at a church called New Spring, I preach there a lot. I'm the founder of a summer camp called Crossroads where your students are coming this year. I preach there a lot. But do you know the primary person I preach the gospel to? This guy. I preach it to myself every day. I testify to myself every day because if I don't remind myself of how good God has been, I will forget and I'll think he's against me or I'll think he doesn't care about me. Which brings me to my third and final point. It's the cheat code from Revelation chapter 12 and this is it. When you see a mess, look for the miracle. We all want miracles, don't we? I do, I want miracles. What I don't want is a mess. I hate messes. I hate a messy desk. I hate a messy kitchen. I hate a messy laundry room. I hate a messy truck. I hate to go anywhere where I feel like people don't know what's going on. I like order. I don't like messes. But when the New Testament church in the first century found themselves at odds with the Roman Empire, it was a mess. Caesar said, I'll kill all of y'all and I'll put this stupid religion to death. And the Christians basically said, like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is my gain. You can kill me if you want to, but you'll never kill this message. You can take my life, but you'll never take the power of the gospel. Let me ask y'all a question. How's the Roman Empire doing today in 2022? <laughs> doing pretty good for history books. How's the church of Jesus Christ doing right now in 2022? Stronger than ever. Even after a pandemic. Even after 
Every enemy has come against it with every powerful weapon. The church of God is still standing. The people of God are still testifying to his power. Why? Because the people of God know that when you see a mess, there is a miracle waiting on the other side of that mess. We all want the miracle, but you do realize that a miracle needs a mess to become a miracle. I don't get a miracle if I don't go through a hard time that necessitates God stepping into my story. So if you're looking around your life right now and you see messes, look a little bit further. Look on the other side of that mess. Stay faithful to God in the mess and a miracle is coming. You keep faithful to God. You stand your ground. You speak up boldly and testify about the goodness of God. Keep giving and keep tithing even when the money is tight. Keep loving your children even though they've decided they're not a Christian anymore. They're deconstructing now. You keep praying for them. You keep loving them. You keep inviting them into the house and keep loving on them. You stay faithful in the mess and I promise you in this life or the next one, a miracle is your destiny. It is. These believers, they stood not just the test, they stood the greatest test. You can read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read Tertullian, the African father of the New Testament church, one of the fathers along with Athanasius and some of the others. And when Tertullian made this quote, he really understood the heart of the people of God. I did my senior thesis on martyrdom and persecution in the early church and I quoted Tertullian when the African father of the church, Tertullian, said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because historically, when you look at the church, you see that in times and epochs, when things are good and easy, the church grows soft and complacent. When things grow difficult, we lean in to the power of the Holy Spirit. You may have heard this phrase. I don't know who coined it. It was not me. Hard times make hard men. Hard men fight for good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make hard times. Hard times make hard men. The whole point is simply when we embrace the hard thing we're going through, it reminds us that it is Christ's blood that gives us a testimony. It's not my abilities. It's not my attempts to white knuckle my way through a, a storm. It is the blood of Jesus that gives us the power to overcome. It's the blood of Jesus that gives us a testimony. It's his sacrifice that says to us, even if you die, you will live. I'm the first fruits from the dead and you will be resurrected one day and you'll be with me forever if you belong to me. Church, I wanna speak this over you. You have a story to tell. Look for the opportunities. Don't wait on someone to invite you in, just speak up. I do this at the YMCA. You can come on out and start playing some keys. I'm at 32 minutes. Come on out. Hit, hit, hit them up, keyboards, because we're going to worship. I do this at the YMCA. All right, so <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm just feeling it right now. I don't care because there's no service after this. We can, I can go as long as I want to. I might get a drink of water and preach another one. Here we go. So I go to the YMCA because as a preacher, I don't meet a lot of lost people. I'm in church all the time. I'm around Christians all the time. So I go to the YMCA in Anderson, South Carolina, big, beautiful YMCA, because I know there are lost people there. 
I know there are broken people there. I know there are hurting people there. And I know that if I'm at the YMCA, there'll be a lot of people that recognize me and some that won't. So I go there looking for opportunities to tell my story. Can I tell you my cheat code? I don't know what yours is gonna be, but I'm empowering you. I'm launching you out. I am sending you out. I am ordaining you to go and testify. Go tell your story. That's how you'll shut the devil up. Well, I grew up in a church. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Anybody heard that? Tell the truth and shame the devil. Shame that big fat liar into darkness by opening your mouth and telling the truth about how good Jesus has been to you. Because people can argue with your politics, they can't argue with your story. It's your testimony. So you know what I do at the YMCA? I plan enough time that after my workout, I go into the men's bathroom and on the back side of the men's bathroom, this girl, she's like, what are you about to say, pastor? <laughs> there are two saunas at the YMCA, a steam room and a dry sauna. And back in October, when I went through the mess of my appendix bursting and me getting sepsis and almost dying, that was a bad thing, but it got a good result. Because y'all, I'm down almost 30 pounds. I was 260 and a lot to love. And now I'm about 230, give or take, and I'm feeling good and I'm going to the gym and I'm rebuking sweet tea and I'm avoiding biscuits. So part of my health regimen now is I go in the sauna and I sweat my guts out because I know that there are gonna be men who come into that dry sauna and that steam room. So I turn it up as hot as I can get it. You know, just to kind of help them understand that hell's a real place. And I'm just gonna tell you, this is the cheat code because I know some of y'all are thinking, well, Clayton, I just don't practically know how to do this. Here's what I do. Whether I'm sitting beside somebody on an airplane or that I'm sitting beside some guys in the sauna at the YMCA. Hey man, my name's Clayton, what's your name? And most people will tell you their name, at least their first name. And I'm like, so what do you do for a living? I'm a stay-at-home dad, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I, I work uh, in facilities at Anderson University, I'm a professor at Clemson. What do you do? Well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. I've had people guess all kind of things. The most recent one was, are you Stone Cold Steve Austin? You look like, you like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm like, no, I, I wish I was. I kind of dream about, you know, one more match with The Undertaker. <laughs> and then I tell them this, no, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. Oh, really? And then from there, it's on. I never know what's gonna come out of their mouth. I never know what they're gonna say after that. Some will say, will you pray for me? Some will say, I hate God. Some will say I'm an atheist. Some will say I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic. Uh, I'm a recovering Southern Baptist. Some will just flat out say, wow, I can't, I can't believe I'm talking to a pastor. You know, I'm, I'm addicted to oxy. That happened. All you gotta do is speak up, y'all. It's not that hard. It is not rocket science. Don't call it hard. You want me to tell you what's hard? Leukemia is hard. Meth addiction is hard. Those things are hard. It's not hard to speak up and testify. You have a story to tell, every one of you. And for some of you, your story's about to change right now. For some of you right now, for the first time in your life, your story's gonna take a turn and Jesus Christ is gonna come into your life and he's gonna save you and change you and you won't be able to shut up about it. Close your eyes with me and open your hearts. I don't want you to look around and see what other people are doing. This is between you and Jesus. I'm wondering if there are some people here at New Hope 
who don't really know for sure if they're gonna go to heaven or hell when they die. And I'm assuming that there are some of you right now that need to be, you need to be saved. You wanna give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're 92% sure you're a Christian or, or 31% sure. Or maybe you have no idea to how, how to even know whether or not you belong to Christ. And I'm gonna tell you the simplest way I know how from the scriptures some of you need to nail it down before you leave this church because the reason why you can't testify is because you're not sure of your story. You can be sure of it right now. Romans 10, 13 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's how you can know that you know that you know that you know Jesus. Just ask him to save you. Right now, that's all you have to do. Repent of your sin, trust him enough to ask, Jesus, I believe in you, will you save me? It's not complicated. So with your eyes closed and your hearts open to Jesus right now, if you need to let Jesus change your story and you're ready, invite him in. Pray this to him. Not out loud, but in your heart. He's listening. Pray this to him right where you sit. If you are ready to repent of your sins and trust Christ. Jesus, I need you. I'm lost without you. I repent of my sin. I invite you into my life. Come in right now, Jesus and save me. I put my trust in you. I believe you are alive. I'm all yours. And I'm all in. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment before the band leads us, before we stand up. I'm not gonna invite you to come forward. I'm not even gonna point you out. I just wanna ask with your eyes closed and your hearts open, if you just prayed that prayer, young or old, we had 27 people in the first service pray to receive Christ. And I wanna see some more people on my 35th anniversary of preaching the gospel. I believe we're gonna see even more people right now testify that you just gave your life to Christ. I'm gonna ask you to testify doing one simple thing. Eyes closed, hearts open. Would you testify that you just prayed to receive Christ by raising your hand straight up above your head if you just prayed that prayer? And I want you to keep them up. I'm not gonna point you out, but I am gonna count because I wanna be able to celebrate and testify, even on social media today, what we saw God do at New Hope. Keep your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, now the balcony, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. Wow, you can put your hands down. Hey, look up here at me for a moment. Can we celebrate 37 people who just testified that they prayed to receive Christ? 27 plus 37 is... Uh, Thank you, 64. 
You have a spiritual gift that God didn't give me. Thank you so much for testifying that you're good at the math. 64 people today have just crossed over from death to life. That is a testimony. 